Welcome, 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 everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Stop Being the Best Kept Secret. I am your host, Dr. Tana M. Session, and it is my honor and my pleasure to be able to bring additional voices this season. So as I promised, you will not just be under the sound of my voice in season three. I'm bringing on other experts who can share their story, their journey, challenges that they're seeing and the work that they're doing. Uh, what are some little nuggets that they can leave with each and every one of you and myself included. So with that, I'm very honored and very privileged that she's taking time out of her very busy schedule to join me here for this new episode. So I have Dr. Akila Kadeh, and she is going to introduce herself formally and tell you about her company and what she does. So Dr. Akila, you have the mic. Well, thank you, Dr. Session. I I'm always elated to be in the company of a fellow, very awesome and amazing Black woman doc. Yes, same. Very happy. <laughs> very happy to be here. I am Dr. Akila Kaday, founder and CEO of Change Kaday. We are an organizational development consulting firm, but we happen to be pretty great and known for our diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, and anti-racism work. My doctorate is in health science and leadership and organizational behavior. So everything we do is centered around change, mm. which is why the company is called Change Today. Change is continuous and great if you're living life right. Um, we work from strategy all the way to workshops, problem solving, and my favorite thing, which is the, I like to call it the oh shit bucket, where I really get to be the Olivia Pope of diversity in the workplace and that's going on to like handle shit and fix shit when there's crisis management, crisis recovery, someone's been harmed internally, externally, or both um, and go from there. Our companies are all over the world. They range from billion dollar companies um, to small businesses. We go from nonprofit to foundations, um, beauty, beverages, tech, we're everywhere because discrimination doesn't discriminate. My company is based in Oakland, California, and I'm very proud to say that my baby is seven years old, and uh, that is a feat for anyone who owns a business. Once you make it past five years, it's like you did it. <laughs> yes, bravo! Congratulations! I'm giving you some hand claps for that because I know that journey, and yes, it is an achievement, a huge achievement that should be celebrated. Definitely. So I want to talk to you about some of the things that you're seeing in this line of work, right? So people ask me all the time, um, will this, what you're doing really make a difference? Or uh, will companies really still be doing this in another year or two as, you know, life changes, we get back to quote unquote normal, um, more people are back in the office, their, you know, leaders are back to traveling. So we know that a lot of the catalysts started with the murder of George Floyd in 2020, at least from my side of my um, experience, where people all of a sudden realized they needed diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. I was like, I've been doing this work since 2007. Where have you been? But I'll take you as you come, right? So what do you predict? What do you see in terms of this, this line of work, this field, this uh, expertise that you have as it relates to the um, current momentum? And do you see it continuing? You know, um, there's folks who don't see it continuing. I do. Um, and I'm a storyteller, so I like to tell a story. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> so what a lot of people don't realize is just like you, Dr. Session, I was in a position where there's a huge influx of business. And I had been doing this work before. But mm -hmm. with the murder of George Floyd, everyone's like, wait a minute. Are we racist? 
Mm-hmm. Can we sound racist? Do we look racist? Can we protect our racists? You know, so there are a lot of these things that were happening. So the, the amount of business was in like, I'm appreciative of it. Um, I like to say that my home was paid for by white supremacy that I was able to buy like <laughs> last year. But um, what a lot of people don't realize is difference. Like, what's the difference? Right. Mm. And the reason why I bring that up is um, Maude Arbery was murdered in, in February. Yep. That same year. Right. And some people were like, oh, that's awful. And some people ran for him. Right. Some people were you know, upset. And that took months to get to what we knew in February. Yeah. And then, um, you know, but not the same, not the same as Mr. Floyd. Then we had uh, the murder of Breonna Taylor. Mm-hmm. And that was the same week when people were like, are we going inside? Are we not going inside? Is this pandemic thing real? Wait, is it here? Wait, it's not SARS? Wait, what? Like, you know, like all of that was happening. So people were obviously upset, but it didn't have the same response as right. George Floyd. So what a lot of people don't realize is the difference. And the difference is, is May 25th, 2020, people had been indoors for what they were told would be two weeks. Right. And at that point, it was closer to, you know, two months or longer, depending on when people went inside. And so because we were inside of the pandemic, we could do nothing but be on our phones, our tablets, laptops, our TVs. And so we had to sit in it. We had to sit. Now, you and I sit in it all the time because we're Black Mm -hmm. women and we do this type of work. So that's not new for us at all. It's not new. We had these feelings with Emmett Teal. We had these feelings with the enslavement of Black people. We had this during Jim Crow. We've had these feelings before from the stories that we've experienced, stories from our family. None of that was new to us. But you know who it was new to? White people. Yeah. And white people had never felt it like that. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, my gosh, what can we do? I'm a leader of something. We need to hire a consultant. We need to bring in Dr. Session. We need to do I need to go to a workshop. How can I you know, I'm going to follow change today because now I want to actively figure out how to be an ally. I'm going to go outside. And that was one of the first events where people were in mass still in a pandemic. We were vaccinated, yes. but that's how upset folks were. And so they go outside and, you know, protesting and it's important and I'm all for it. I live in Oakland, California. We are a protest city. And I'm, that's why my taxes go to the city because I love it. It's important to have that. And so that was the start of social justice, reckoning, awakening, you know, accountability vibes coming through. We see a lot of cancel culture happening. We see influencers who are being, you know, canceled, right? Yep. We see celebrities who are being canceled. So much is happening. now. What a lot of people also don't realize is that when pretend school started and pretend school is really important. All of us, if you like, you know, went to some type of formal education, you're used to summers when I relax because that's what we've been programmed to do. And so when pretend school starts, you're like, okay, well, September's coming along. October's coming. I have to get back into, you know, the life. I can no longer relax and have fun. Those protests started to dissipate. Mm -hmm. People wanted to go to workshops started to decrease. Right. So all of that was happening. Now, um, there were people who actually had kids, you know, the kids are going back to school, whether it was virtual in person or whatever state they were in. So, you know, there was that there was an adjustment. But all of a sudden it was forgotten. This allyship, this activeness to want to be an ally and figure out what anti-racism means. And I'm going to start saying BIPOC, Black, Indigenous, People of Color, started to disappear. And all that energy was like, white people were like, listen, all we have to do is elect Biden. 
you know, Harris in office because Biden is basically Obama by proximity. (laughs) Right. And Harris is, she's such a woman of color. She's something. She's lots of things. A woman of color. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. So yeah, let's, let's, let's do that. So then obviously all that, all that energy goes into the election. Right. And the reason for that is they would fix it. But you know what happened? They didn't. Spoiler alert. Sorry. Sorry. Spoiler (laughs) alert. I love this journey. I love the way you're breaking it down. (laughs) Yeah, like it it didn't work. So then they went, white people went into, okay, well, we did it because they're there, right? So we can chill. So January, blah, blah, blah. Insurrection. Yes. Right? But the thing is, what also a lot of people forget is that we had this beautiful day called January 5th, 2021. And that was the day Black women saved the country. Yes. Right. And we only had one day. Black women only had one day because of the insurrection on January 6th. And then everyone was like, wait a minute. Look at that allyship thing we were doing in May. We should probably maybe get back into that. Like, this isn't okay. What is happening? White people have this thing called privilege and then they're spinning again. So they want to figure that out. And it's hard for white people to figure out how white people are doing something that's harmful sometimes, right. but they were leaning into that, right? Despated, you know, kind of a little bit, but then stop AAPI hate happened. Yep. It took years for white people to realize that AAPI, Asian American Pacific Islanders, have been murdered, harmed, and maimed because they forgot that Trump said offensive things naming COVID. Yep. So as a result, violence went up, but they didn't care because they were focused on black people. Because what white people don't understand is that white supremacy wins when black people and AAPI people go against each other. Mm -hmm. But they couldn't figure that out. So then they're like, okay, well, I can't black lives matter, right? Because I have to stop AAPI hate. And that's, that's where it's been. So we've been on this cyclical process. So yes, I know this is a story time. I do feel this momentum will change because there's some type of unfortunate event that happens where people are like, oh, I got to go back to the marker of the summer of what I call the summer of allyship. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're right. I think some do feel that they have to choose, right? And I tell them it doesn't have to be either or. It could be and this, (laughs) you know, it's like because there's always going to be something. There's always going to be some issue with some probably underrepresented, marginalized group that's going to happen, that's going to occur. Like the month that we're recording this is Women's Month. So everyone's been talking about women and focused on women. And that's great. And that's it should continue to happen because so many of them left the workforce as a result of COVID. We were just starting to make some segue. And now with the numbers are down and who knows how long, if at all, it will take to, you know, bring those numbers back up again. And let's not even talk about women in leadership and C-suite roles. I mean, nearly non-existent in some cases, but you don't have to choose. (laughs) Do you agree or disagree? It's not a choice. It's dismantling white supremacy. Right. (laughs) That's it. So when you dismantle white supremacy, you are allowing people with disabilities like myself to have an opportunity to thrive. Mm -hmm. You're allowing women of different 
intersectionality and privilege to thrive. Mm-hmm. You're allowing the LGBTQ plus community to thrive. You're allowing BIPOC people to thrive. You're allowing low income people exactly. to thrive, right? So the thing is, is that what people keep on missing is that the root is white supremacy. Yes. Go back to it. Then, then you can say, well, my boss is black and they're horrible. Guess what? They've decided to tap into white supremacy and That's the benefits right. of white supremacy. So if you get back to dismantling white supremacy, then all of these other problems are solved. What white supremacy, mm-hmm. Yeah, right. So what a lot of people, particularly white people think with white supremacy is they're like KKK, you know, right. and, you know, overtly racist people. But what they're forgetting are microaggressions. Right. They're forgetting the other subtle ways in which we are oppressed as those who are not part of the dominant culture. So white supremacy means um, white dominant culture. So having dominance of the culture of the space, the workplace, society, wherever you are. Right. There's that dominance there. What white supremacy means is those who benefit from that receive all the benefits for the social determinants of health to thrive. So what that means is white supremacy, you can drive down the street and when you get pulled over, you get a ticket. I'm going to say that again. You pull over, you get a ticket. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You don't get murdered or maimed, right? You can go into a bank and get a loan. You probably have some type of generational wealth. When your health is is appraised, it'll be appraised fairly and accurately. Mm -hmm. You can go to school and not be judged for being smart. Um, You can have a 2.0 GPA and still become a CEO of a company because you're a white person. When you go to the emergency room, your pain will be believed. When you have a baby, your pain will be believed. When you have a baby, you will have a risk of death, right? That's what white supremacy is. You're giving me chills. Oh my goodness, you're breaking it down for them. I hope they are grabbing everything that you're saying. (laughs) So the thing is, is that we all deserve white supremacy. White supremacy means someone superior to someone else, supreme. But why is it that? Well, we have the near genocide of indigenous people. We have the enslavement of black people. We have internment camps for Japanese people. We have so much more that goes into that because of the dominant culture, because of white people. Now, does that mean white people are bad? No. But what it does mean is that why do we not have the same thing? Mm -hmm. I was in the ER two weeks ago. Two, two, three weeks ago, I, I live with disability. I have a heart condition. I have a, a rare connective tissue mm. disorder um, and I had an aneurysm scare. So I went to the oh. doctor because I wasn't feeling good. Had to go get stat, a CT angiogram. And that's the only way to do it. Um, and so why is it that when my doctor walked into the room, I said, oh my God, you're a black doctor. <sighs> right? Wow. Right. Why is it that I've been disabled for five years and this is the first time I've gone to the ER multiple times. This is the first time my pain was treated while I was waiting for Mm. that imaging. He said, I'm going to get you some fentanyl. And I said, thank you. You know, I'm not a pain. Wait a minute. I was going to say, you know, I'm not a pain seeker, but I don't have to tell that to you because you're black. He's like, no, you do not. Mm. Right. That, that is that is white supremacy where I'm like, wow, I'm going to live today because there's a black doctor here. Right. Wow. And I've been to the emergency room like, I don't know, 15 times. I've only had two black doctors. Wow. Right. And then the other time I had a black doctor, I happened to date her husband's brother, like many, many years ago, like college mm-hmm. days. 
And I saw her and she looked at me and I looked at her and um, I was like, can I give you a hug? And she was like, yeah. <laughs> and she was like the boss, the triage ER doc. And so I had a private room. Tests were rerun. Mm. This is what white people get. They right? Do. Right? Yeah. And so that's that's the root of it. So it's not picking and choosing. It's not options. Yes, there's intersectionality to everything, even white people. There's intersectionality for that. But how do we dismantle white supremacy so that everyone gets the same thing? It doesn't mean black supremacy. It doesn't mean AAPI right. supremacy. It means everyone has the same thing. But what white people don't understand, because they benefit from it, and the design of white supremacy is for them to not know what they don't know. And that's intentional in the design so they can continue the benefit. Right. Is that they are like, well, who do I support Mm -hmm. instead of getting to the root of the problem? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. Woo. Akila. That was deep and good. I mean, beyond good. I got some nuggets myself. Uh, and like I said, I've been doing this work since 2007. And, and to your point, I mean, just calling a thing a thing, as Iyana Van Zandt says, um, and that's exactly what it is. The systems that we have around us, and I think that's why um, there's so much uh, cancel culture around the critical race theory, um, because really what that's talking about is the structural norms that have been in place or put in place um, by those in leadership, those in control, those in the majority, uh, that benefited them and caused harm to others that didn't look like them, that didn't fit in terms of their category of who should be entitled to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I think that's important for people to understand as well as like, then how does that show up in the workplace, right? So do you walk into your workplace and say, this place is a white supremacist workplace? <laughs> I don't recommend that you do that. But I think it's recommended that you look at the systems that are in place and see who's benefiting from it. And if it, to your point earlier, if it's not where those that are from different subgroups, different marginalized groups are having just as much success, just as, as much opportunity, um, barriers removed, mentorship, sponsorship, opportunities to work on great projects. Um, if that's not happening for everyone, then there's some white supremacy in the system. Yeah, but I would, I would, I tell my clients to talk about white supremacy because that's the other part of white supremacy is that people don't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Right. So you have to name what it is because that's the only way you can dismantle it. So, yes, people Mm -hmm. should go. Yeah. Into the workplace to say, like, how are we benefiting from white supremacy? Mm. How are people not benefiting from white supremacy? What are we doing? Like you said, systemically, that's creating barriers to opportunities that are here. Mm -hmm. How are we upholding the values of white supremacy? And and for those folks who have a hard time saying white supremacy you can say white dominant culture sometimes that's easier it's the same literally same Same thing thing. (laughs) but if it's easier for someone to say white dominant culture it's fine but it really is still white supremacy when it comes down to it so if you make that a normalized word right and it's not viewed as a threat but as Ah. an opportunity that is where change happens okay i like that Mm -hmm. yep so yeah yeah. And I think like even privilege, right? You mentioned privilege. And, mm-hmm. and I tell my clients and when I do my trains, I tell them privilege is not a dirty word. People have made it a dirty word, but it isn't. Um, and at some point, each of us are going to have some level of privilege. We just have to be able to have, you know, a way of recognizing it and saying, oh, in this moment, I was benefited when someone else wasn't. And that's basically what we're saying. And so when people look at white privilege, they're like, 
oh, I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth or my family didn't have money or I pulled myself up by my bootstraps or we were poor, you know, those types of things. Okay, but certain things are going to happen to me just because of the color of my skin or that will happen to my son or my husband because of the color of their skin, because of a a recognized bias and discrimination and um, racism. It's not going to happen to you because of the color of your skin. So let's start with that. And then to your point, going into the hospital, you're going to be treated differently. Even if you are poor, pulls yourself up by your bootstraps, you know, all of these things, your pain is going to be believed and mine's isn't. But what we're really talking about here is that people don't realize that privilege is twofold. It's earned and unearned, mm. right? So unearned privilege is what's, in the words of Lady Gaga, born this way. How did you come into this world? Right. Are you white? Are you benefiting from white dominant culture? Are you tall? So people think you're a celebrity, so you're going to get, you know, some benefit mm-hmm. there. Did you have both of your parents? Did you grow up in a system? Mm-hmm. Did you grow up in a middle-class neighborhood? What was your education like? Do you have access to money or wealth from grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, you know, your parents? Like, what are those things versus earned privilege, which is something that is acquired over time, like access to a privileged space, company, right. title, license, or learn language? So what if, you know, someone here, they're born and raised in the U.S. and, they, you know, English is their language, but they move to, you know, Italy mm-hmm. and they either learn Italian there or they happen to learn it in preparation for moving there. They have that earned privilege of moving freely in the space without having to have an app or an interpreter or maybe a family member that's around them. They have that privilege. Right. And so people need to realize that it's earned and unearned privilege. One isn't better than the other. With unearned privilege, you can build to your own earned privilege. But when people realize that it is twofold, then they can literally get a roadmap to how they show up. Now, this is also particularly important for BIPOC people because BIPOC people tend to think privilege is white privilege, like just yeah. white people and white people, same thing. Silver spoon, like, I, you know, I'm poor. So it's like, OK, but you can drive down the street. <laughs> you can right? stop by the cops and just get a ticket. You can stop by the cops. Like, All I, warning. I can't tell you. Right. I mean, blood, you know, heart races every time. Every time. Every single time. And I don't ride dirty. I don't ride dirty and I still get nervous. Right. (laughs) Exactly. You know, because that because of our experience. Yeah. I I I can't call the cops. I was in the middle of a random shooting early in the morning. I didn't call the cops because I knew I wouldn't be believed. White people have the privilege of doing that. Right. And so when you think about that, going back to BIPOC people, it is empowering to realize that they have earned and unearned privilege. Right. Earned and unearned privilege when they realize it's like, oh, I have this job or, you know, my parents got me through school or, Mm -hmm. you know, I was I was raised by my grandma and still made it to X, Y and Z, whatever that thing was. When we realize that it empowers us to use our voice more to also dismantle white supremacy. Yeah. It reminds me, you when you mentioned about the school, it reminded me, I was having a conversation with a client and uh, we were talking about the cancel student debt, right? And she says, well, if they cancel student debt, then I want all the money back that my husband and I paid for my son to go to college because we paid out of pocket and um, it's not fair for people to be able to get that money back and those who you know paid out of pocket won't. And I said, wait, hold up. <laughs> I said, do you realize what you're saying right now and who you're saying it to? I said, because I did have to take out parent plus loans and I did have to, my son had to take out loans because I didn't have the money saved up 
to pay for him to go to four years of college, two of them being out of state until I moved right. and then was able to bring the tuition down. And I said, right. so to me, I said, I was already set up for failure from the very beginning, as was my son, because I didn't have the income. You know, he came from a single parent home. Like I had to break it all down for her. And by the time I did, she was crying. And that wasn't my intent, but I needed her to see that blind spot that she had and, and that bias, you know, and, and that, um, you know, uh, that's not fair type mentality because I said, it's not about equality. It's about equity. And so we yeah. kind of talked about it. Right. And so I'm glad you mentioned that because it, it, I forgot all about that conversation, how it ended. This was like last year when they first started talking about canceling student debt, when Biden got in office. And mm-hmm. I was like, I was thinking, wow, that'd be great. 50,000 that, you know, we don't have to pay. Excellent. I mean, I'm not trying to get off the hook for everything, but that could make a heck of a difference, you oh, know? Yeah. So yeah, to your point, like, and, and thanks for breaking that down, even for me, Akila, about earned and unearned privilege. Um, that's yeah. definitely a nugget I'm going to take with me. So that's our time together here. I could talk to you all day long, as you know. <laughs> this is our jam, this is what we do. Um, I, would, I, just, I do want to say one thing, though. You're, sure. I'm happy you did that and had that conversation because my mom was assistant superintendent and um, we, I'm a twin and a single mom. So when I, when we went to college, it was a financial burden because she had two Two. going to college at the same time. So we also have plus loans, all of that that we had to do, but she was an executive and we still couldn't afford that because again, we didn't have the privilege of additional Mm -hmm. money somewhere else or disposable income, you know, or, or even, you know, a black woman getting paid fairly. Right. Right. Um, To make it, to make it happen. So I think it's important you note that, but also when that conversation comes up, you can always, you know, because you always get the white person, like I was the first one in my family to go to college. Mm -hmm. That is fantastic. You have earned privilege. That is great. (laughs) I mean, honestly, it is, it's great. But the difference is, is that white person, when they graduate against the black person will still have a higher probability of getting a job sooner. Right. lower interest rate on loans, even if they had to take loans That's or not. Right. 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 So they still have to understand like, yeah, there's earned privilege there, but you're benefiting more from unearned privilege because that's mm-hmm. how white supremacy works. Right. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yes. I also could talk to you. forever. <laughs> <laughs> well, as always, as I said, from the very beginning, I know how busy you are. We are in this work that we do dismantling white supremacy. Um, so thank you again for taking the time out with me and spending time on Stop Being the Best Kept Secret. And Akili, please let everyone know how they can find you, how they can work with you, how they can bring you into their organizations. Go ahead and drop all your receipts. Yeah, absolutely. So people who want to learn more about earned and unearned privilege, we offer a power and privilege workshop. It is the Beyonce workshops for us. Um, you can find out more about that on our website, the word change and cadet like cadet, but uh, today, C-A-D-E-T. Um, if you are a social media person, all my handles are changed today. You can follow me there. I do answer DMs. It is me. And we also have the Change Today Action Network, which is an educational platform where you can do autonomous learning all by yourself. So you can actually do the work to move past allyship. It's a waste of time uh, to become an accomplice uh, or anti-racist. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you again. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful week. And I can't wait to continue to connect with you on social like we already do. And um, I'm sure our paths will cross again soon. So thank you again. Thank you. Keep being amazing.
Thanks.